You are listening to a recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.sdrosecc.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. If you are here this morning and you need a, a hard copy of God's Word, we've got extra Bibles in the back. Just slip up your hand and, and Mr. Wayne will come down the aisles and provide you one. Luke, chapter 1 is where we'll begin in verse 26 here in just a moment. This is a break from our normal teaching rhythm in the life of the church. If you've been coming for any amount of time, you know it's our process to work through books of the Bible, sort of verse by verse, paragraph, paragraph, come what may. And we want to learn what God has for us in all of the inspired scripture. We've been journeying verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. We just finished chapter 6. We'll begin chapter 7 in January. But every year, we pause the normal rhythm to reflect on important things. We pause for a season of Advent, a season of remembering the coming of Christ into the world, and a season of looking forward to his return to this world. Now, this, this tradition uh, that we have followed at St. Rose Community Church, it's not unique to us, this seasonal tradition. Though it's not a command in Scripture, the church has historically recognized that there is value to annually pausing to meditate on the fundamentals of the Christian faith, but not just the fundamentals, not just the basics. It just so happens that these basics of the Christian faith also are the most profound truths and some of the most shocking things to consider in the history of the created world. One uh, expositional preacher who I like to read from time to time, his name is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he says this, he says, it's a very good thing in the Christian life to stand back periodically and to look at this great plan. That's why I think it's important to observe Christmas Day and Good Friday and Easter Sunday and to preach on those days. And so that's our aim. We're going to pause and we're going to reflect on some of the foundational, fundamental things that we believe that makes us Christians. And so we're going to look at some familiar stories, and, and in the looking at the familiar stories, our aim is to try to approach them with the same awe and amazement that the people who would have been receiving this message for the first time must have felt, right? Because one of the difficulties about things like Advent is that our over-familiarity can sort of dampen or deaden the, the shockingness of the truths that Christianity claims, right? We, we can become too familiar with things that are astounding, right? It's like, like people who might live uh, in a place where they see the northern lights every day, right? And they begin to take for granted the grandeur of the beauty that they happen just to pass by on their way to work every day, right? And so let's, let's approach this text uh, reading it with, trying to read it with fresh eyes, praying that God help us to have a sense of the awe 
of the characters in this story who would have heard this message from the angel Gabriel. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 is where we begin. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and we called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would protect us from a dull heart. We pray that you would protect us from a hardened heart, from dull ears that cannot hear and eyes that cannot see the beauty and the grandeur of the story of the Bible, God. We pray that we might be adequately amazed at the miracle that we see here, the eternal majesty of a plan beyond our comprehension. Father, we pray that we would bump our head up against eternal mystery this morning and it would cause us to worship. Lord, God, help us to worship. That is the right response. As we will see throughout this Advent series, the right response is to herald, that is to proclaim, to announce with joy that Christ has come. Help us to do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Preacher and theologian J.C. Ryle begins his commentary on this text with these words. He says, We have in these verses the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in the world, the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it is a passage which we should always read with mingled wonder, love, and praise. Now, 
What I want you to notice, though, about this passage first is the historical nature of it. Look at, look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Notice the story does not begin once upon a time in a land far, far away, does it? No, the paragraph begins with in the sixth month, not the fifth or the fourth, but the sixth, not in an undisclosed fairy tale place. No, a city named Nazareth in a province named Galilee. It's a real city in real time, and a heavenly being breaks into created order with a message to a very real person. Verse 27, particularly to a virgin betrothed to a man named Mary, or betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel named Gabriel, right, he's appearing to a woman named Mary, betrothed to a man named Joseph, whose family line is connected to a man named David. These are real people (laughs) whose very normal lives were interrupted by God. In fact, Luke's introduction to this book makes this very point. And this is truth number one, if you're a note taker this morning. At Christmas, we celebrate a historical event. What we have in this book is the written record of eyewitness history, not the product of man's imagination. So so look with me at the beginning of the whole book, the Gospel of Luke. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. This is the introduction to this account. He says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The purpose of the book that we read this morning, according to Luke's own testimony, is I have set out to write a work of history here, giving you an organized record of eyewitness testimonies to the things that you have heard about, right? Now, this is very important for us to keep in mind this morning. If we're not careful especially in the holidays of things like Christmas, we can reduce our Christianity to something of like traditional mythical storytelling. We can can come to the season of Christmas with an appreciation for the tradition and not an appreciation for the reality that the tradition is pointing us to. The Bible does not claim to provide some nice stories with some moral message. No, the Bible claims to provide you with a history of what God has done in the world. We Christians are very much reasonable people. We very much believe that the world we live in is created by one true God, and that one true God, the creator, also put a plan before the foundation of the world to redeem the world he created from the sin they plunged themselves into. A plan that culminates in the birth of of this this historical moment in real time, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, 
let's shift now to the actual message this heavenly messenger is bringing. And I believe there's two, really two things that we can focus on in the story. First, there's the message of the angel itself about the birth of Jesus. And then there's the very real experience of Mary and, and how she is responding to this God who is interrupting her day and life. So let's tackle the message first. Let's look at the announcement. Look at verse 28. Verse 28, and he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, let me pause here. Any and every appearance of an angelic being in the Bible is described as a shocking experience, right? We, we tend to read the Bible um, uh, in, in, in our own understanding of time, like our own understanding of timelines. We just think amazing, crazy things are happening like every day to the people of the Bible. But that's not the case. I mean, you read Moses' life, the burning bush was insane, but he had been a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years, not really seeing anything cool, right? Anything shocking. And so when you see this response to the angel, like, this is abnormal moment, right? This isn't just everyday human experience. Like, this, this is not commonplace. It's not even God's normal, usual course of action. But now an angelic being with a name has appeared with a message. We don't know what this looked like or sounded like or felt like. What we do know is what we're told about Mary's reaction to it. She was troubled by it. Okay, she's... She's troubled by what she's seeing, hearing, feeling, and, and she's not assuming this is a good thing for her. <laughs> That's an interesting thing to think about, that Mary's not, aha, uh, I, I'm receiving my award now, right? No, no, she's, she's trembling in fear. She's troubled because she doesn't know what kind of greeting in it. She, she's fearful that this angelic being has shown up perhaps to bring judgment on her sin, Right? She, she does not feel worthy to stand in the presence of a holy being. She does not assume that she is holy enough. And the angel responds to her troubled spirit, and he refers to her as favored one. He encourages her not to be afraid, and he reassures her that God is with her, not for the judgment that she fears, but for her good. What we see in this moment is truth number two. At Christmas, we celebrate grace. God has interrupted this young woman's story, not to judge her, though she fear it, but to bless her with unimaginable grace. I mean, he's about to bless Mary with undeserved favor, that's what grace is, nothing particularly noteworthy about Mary is said here. In fact, one of the things in my study that I found amazing, and we really don't have time to get into, is the parallel between the announcement of John the Baptist and the announcement of Jesus. When John the Baptist is announced to come to Zechariah and Elizabeth, it actually says it they are like these people of high esteem. He's working in the temple. It says that they're righteous people doing all these things. And, and then he responds wrongly to the message, right? And he goes mute until the baby's born. Parallel 
the scriptures give you no description of anything good Mary's ever done. Unlike the message to Zechariah and Elizabeth. She's just a girl who's betrothed to a dude. And you don't even get her name until they say she's a virgin. And then, oh yeah, her name was Mary. She's not described in an exemplary manner at all to begin with. All you get is God intervening and saying, you're receiving grace today. I've come to do something amazing today. And thus what we're introduced to in Luke chapter 1 is a God who's graciously drawing near to remarkably unremarkable people. We're introduced to a God who shows favor in the world to those people whom the world might deem unworthy. A a young woman with no socioeconomic status in a place called Nazareth that people ask the question, can anything good come from Nazareth? Praise God. Now what God's revealing about himself here is that the world's standards are not God's standards. And that we serve a God who interrupts our life with grace we never could have asked for for ourselves. If you're a Christian this morning, your story is not the same, but it's similar. And it may not, be, have been, may not have been an angel, but some messenger of the Lord brought you the message of salvation and invited you to participate in the story of God. At some point in your life, your life was interrupted by grace through the message of a messenger sent by God. God intends to show his favor upon Mary by blessing this at first seemingly insignificant woman with what is the most significant role in redemptive history. She will give birth to the promised one. Verse 31, the angel says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great And he'll be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And it is hard to overstate the significance of what Gabriel has just said to Mary. First just consider the name itself, Jesus, the name means salvation. I mean, Gabriel just said you will give birth to salvation. Mary will be give birth to a son named for the salvation that he will accomplish. This son will sit on the throne of David. He will reign forever as king. His kingdom will have no end. In other words, Mary, you're going to give birth to the son that God has been promising for thousands of years. We don't feel the weight of this announcement because we don't feel the weight of the waiting that the people of Israel have been doing for hundreds and thousands of years that God might fulfill the promises he made to his people in a broken world. And at this point, the people of Israel had not heard from a prophet or an angel in 400 years. It's been silence But they have been, the faithful ones have been clinging to, God keeps his promises. Mary is going to give birth to the one whom every Old Testament author and prophet and priest and king that was worth their salt was looking for and longing for and wanting. When Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, they were given a word of hope about a future offspring. 
mean, as early as Genesis chapter 3, when the whole world goes into chaos and it looks like the enemy, the evil one, is going to continuously corrupt all that we've ever known, God looks at the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you, Genesis 3, 15, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. For centuries, the people of God recognized a promise in those words, an offspring's coming from a woman who's going to destroy the evil one. And from that moment in Genesis 3, basically you realize your Old, told, old Testament story, the whole story follows family lineage. You're constantly knowing who begot who and who begot who and what who begot who because you're looking for someone. You're looking for the offspring that's been promised to crush the serpent's head. Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham, and what's he promise? Offspring that would become a blessing to all the families of this cursed earth. God makes a promise to David that one of his offspring would establish a kingdom that will not be overcome by enemy kingdoms anymore, that will stand forever. The whole story is pointing you to a future where an offspring's born that's going to right all the wrongs, reverse the curse, sit on the throne, defeat the enemies, someone who will sit on God's throne forever. God tells Samuel in 2 Samuel 17, uh, 7 chapter 16, uh, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. And the reality of the matter was that had not yet happened. And Mary felt that it had not happened. The people of Israel felt that that had not yet happened. Even the prophets of old anticipated someone was coming that was even beyond understanding. Isaiah 9, 6, a child is born to us a son is given the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and what gabriel's announcing to mary here now is Mama of that promise i mean you you through you the god of the universe is about to fulfill The thing that he's been promising to his people for thousands of years. At Christmas, truth number three, at Christmas, we celebrate promises fulfilled. And you can't appreciate the Christmas season until you feel the longing with which the Old Testament people of God longed for the salvation, the king, to arrive. Let me me read a text of scripture for you in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 that speaks of this. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. In verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. For thousands of years, prophets longed to see and to understand what you now get to see and understand. You you realize that, right? 
I mean, Mary received great favor in being the one through which the Savior came. You in this room in St. Rose Community Church in the 21st century in St. Rose, Louisiana, you've received great favor and that you can sit in this chair and hear the message announced clearly to know who the Christ was, what he did, and what he's going to do in the future. Your hope is not hazy with uncertainty. It is certain that Jesus was born, he lived, he died, and he rose again on the third day, and he started a church which has spread throughout the known world for the last 2,000 years, and he's promised he's coming again. You are blessed and highly favored in this room. The prophets longed to see this. The angels longed to see this. If you're a Christian, you get to see this this morning. And you get to wonder this morning. Christmas, in part, it's about a God who keeps his promises in his timing. And as we, we get the privilege of looking backward at thousands of years of promises being fulfilled in the person of Jesus, and as we reflect, man, God was good to keep his promises. What it does for us in the moment, what the Christmas season does for us, what Advent does for us, is it says, okay, if God was faithful to those promises after thousands of years of feeling like, like it was never going to come, guess what? There's still promises to you that have yet to be fulfilled. And guess what? If he was faithful to to fulfill those promises, he'll be faithful to fulfill these promises. And so so we look back at Christmas as we say, praise God that, that all of these things were true and it came. And then we get to look at our present moment and we say, it feels like darkness. It feels like the promise is never coming. But if he did it then, he'll do it again, so I'll keep going. Right? That's what Advent is. That's what Christmas is. We remind ourselves of past faithfulness. So that we can be faithful in a confidence that he will be faithful. At Christmas we celebrate fulfilled promises. But it's more than just that. Jesus' birth exceeded anyone's understanding of what the promises even entailed. And even Mary is a bit confused on the details here. Minor detail, verse 34. Super personal for their first meeting. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. <laughs> That's really cool and all, but this, this doesn't work. Are, are you just telling me what's going to happen like later in my life? I mean, how is this going to work? That's a good question, right? I mean, the Bible is full of miracles. The Bible is full of miracle births, actually. One of the patterns you see in the Old Testament, if you usually read the Old Testament, you'll just see it time and time again. You're thinking, why is this the thing, Right? Over and over again, what we find in the Old Testament are are women grieving over the fact that they are barren, that the fall of, of mankind, that the brokenness of the world has affected everything in the world, including their ability to have a child. And they they weep over the fact that that they cannot have a child for, for obvious reasons, but one of the reasons is they can't participate in the plan of God, right? To, to bring salvation through an offspring. And so over and over, there's this story of women being unable to have their own children. And then throughout redemptive history, what you have is God stepping into their lives, intervening, and causing the barren woman, even the barren woman in her 90s, to have a miracle child doing what they couldn't do. 
In fact, that's the case of the announcement in chapter 1. Elizabeth is barren in her old age, and and she wishes she could have a child, and then Gabriel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a child. So that miracle just happened earlier in chapter 1. This is amazing things, but this promise to Mary is different, similar, but different than anything God has ever done in the history of the world. And what you begin to recognize is that we're given the foreshadowing of a pattern. God's going to work a miracle birth, but the real thing's bigger and better than anyone ever could have imagined. This isn't just the giving of a child to a barren woman. This is the giving of a child who's never been, a child to a woman who's never been with a man. (laughs) This is like another level of miraculousness, and I think it's meant to communicate, hey, John the Baptist is cool, but Jesus is the real deal, right? I mean, hey, Isaac was awesome, but Isaac was pointing to Jesus, right? All the stories of miracle births were just prepping your heart for the real miracle birth that Mary would conceive and have a son, though she'd never been with a man. And she responds, how's that going to work, right? <laughs> and Gabriel answers, verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then you love what he does here in verse 36. He says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who's called barren. Verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Here's truth number four. At Christmas, we celebrate a miracle birth. At Christmas, we celebrate a miracle birth. This baby is going to be more than a deliverer. He's going to be more than a king, more than a leader of military conquest. He's even more than a miracle baby to a barren woman. This baby was going to be the son of the living God, the very essence of eternal God taking on human flesh. The Holy Spirit of God, without the help of a biological male counterpart, was going to create miracle human life in Mary's womb. The life of God himself taking on biological humanity, God the Son, eternally existent, would now step into the order he created, into physical flesh he came up with, into DNA of a fetus in a womb. That's insane. I mean, that is shocking, notably shocking. And the angel anticipates how shocking that's going to be and immediately begins to help Mary with theological argumentation. He begins to help Mary by saying, okay, hey, I know you think this is crazy, but Elizabeth, who's old, is already pregnant, right? She should not be able to have a baby. She's having a baby. Like, there's already a miracle going to happen. Like, you're going to recognize that, right? And then he moves on to this theological truth. Verse 37 Nothing will be impossible with God. The incarnation of Jesus is mind-boggling. Christian, sometimes you just need to stop and pause and recognize how crazy your faith sounds to the world. What you believe, if you're a Christian, is that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. That God would somehow, some way, take on human flesh is wild beyond our imagination. But the moment that you say God exists, 
you have to then concede that nothing is impossible for that eternal God, right? He is eternally unbound by the restrictions and regulations of any created order or human expectation. He's above and beyond and before any sort of uh, uh, physical reality that he put into being. He created the created order and there's nothing that he cannot defy about that created order. God, for him to be God, means that nothing is impossible for God. The very fact that something exists rather than nothing is an amazing and unexplainable reality without coming to the terms with an existent, eternal, unbound, all-powerful, all-knowing God. If God is God, then God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants to do it. And that God desired a relationship with humanity in such a way that that God took on humanity and walked with humanity humanity and lived the life humanity failed to live and died the death humanity deserved to die and rose again to give eternal life to that humanity one person human nature and divine nature would walk on earth and fulfill the eternal plan of God and what we hold in our hands this morning when we read this Bible is a historical record of eyewitness testimony all of them in agreement that this Jesus was born to a virgin named Mary and lived a remarkable life and did some crazy stuff in front of thousands of people and his grave is empty and his church has spread for the last 2,000 years there's nothing impossible with God you realize that this being an eyewitness account that where Luke is getting this information, he's probably getting this information from Mary herself. I mean, who else knew that Mary was troubled in spirit <laughs> when the angel appeared? Mary is telling him it was crazy. <laughs> he appeared to me and he said this and then it happened and he died and he rose again and now the church is exploding. Our faith is wild, but it's not wild in a sense that it's made up. This Jesus is the testimony of our worship throughout the New Testament. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through him, and without him nothing that was made has been made, and him was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 14, John says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1 says he's the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In this God man, Jesus of Nazareth, truly man, truly God, born of a virgin, God aimed to unite humanity to himself by those who would trust the salvation of Nazareth. Because nothing is impossible with God. Now, that's the announcement. But we would be remiss if we only looked at the announcement and we didn't consider Mary's response to the announcement. 
Now, it should be noted here that nowhere in the Gospels, or in any book of the Bible for that matter, are we commanded to or alluded to worship Mary in any way or pray to her. The text is clear. God is the initiator here, and Jesus is the one worthy of worship in this text. But one of the problems with Baptists, one of the problems with Protestants, in a sort of response to what we do not believe in the Roman Catholic Church, we've not stopped to say, yeah, but Mary's awesome here. <laughs> like, how she responds is worthy of our imitations. I don't pray to the Apostle Paul. I don't, pray, I don't worship Paul. But Paul said, imitate us as I imitate Christ. And what we're presented here in this moment is a response that is obviously noteworthy and worthy of our imitation. I mean, she's just been told, hey, you're pregnant now whether you want it to be or not. <laughs> right? Like, th- th- your whole life's going to be changed now. This is kind of scary. This is kind of freaky. I mean, this is like a big moment. I mean, how is she going to respond to this? And we're given a response in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, let's just think about this for a second. Without full understanding, we've already been told she's troubled in spirit. She's a little fearful of this. Mary humbly submits herself to the will of God, whatever it may be. Mary models for us here what the Christian life will require. Humble faith and an all-powerful God, even when you don't exactly understand how all this is going to pan out. Truth number five, our final truth is this. At Christmas, we respond to Christ with humble faith. As we will see throughout the story in the coming days, the birth of Jesus announced to the world is one of unexpectedly humble beginnings. But not only do we see the Son of God humbling himself, stepping into humanity, what we see is God placing value on those who humbly respond to this Jesus. None of us have a calling quite like Mary, but all of us are called to relate to God like Mary related to God here. We we receive the grace of God through humble faith in Jesus. Mary's disposition here is the disposition of saving faith, is it not? This is the path to eternal life. And this is what Jesus will grow up to say, this is what it's all about. That God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. We receive eternal life by grace through faith like Mary's. We seek to live our lives with faith like this. Every day we wake up and we seek to live this declaration. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And that's the prayer Jesus taught to, when his disciples say, how do we pray, Jesus? And Jesus says, this is how you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer we see Jesus praying before he goes to the cross, is it not? Father, if you were willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We believe that God's way is a better way. We believe any circumstance that he providentially deems as good for us is good for us. And so the Christian life, we, we're saved by simply saying, we believe. And then every day after, as a Christian, we, we strive to continue to believe what we believed in the beginning, right? We, 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 say, we say every morning, we want to say, 
Into your hand I commit my spirit, O Lord. We do this in our fight against sin. We do this in our suffering. We do this in our struggle of mission and ministry. The daily mundane grind of life in a broken world. We do not worship anyone other than the Lord Jesus in this church. But my goodness, we do worship the same God that Mary worshiped. And we should seek to respond to his word the way she did in this moment. I'm your servant, Lord. Do unto me what is good. He is the same God. Still, he is the God whom nothing is impossible, the God who fulfills promises. He demands this response, humble faith. And let me, as we close and bring it up to a close this morning, and this is, I think this is the thing that most challenged me. I mean, a lot of this just stirred me to worship um, as I was preparing, but I think the thing that most challenged me was, was just asking myself, can I pray this prayer without compromise or qualification today? I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you've not placed faith in Jesus, he invites you today to come to him and to trust him and find eternal life. Not by anything that you've done, not by any works of yours, but simply trusting Christ came because I couldn't do it. And he did it for me. To every believer in the church, he invites you to after you put faith in Jesus, to pray like Mary prayed every day. <laughs> with my job, with my finances, with my future, with my relationships, with my ministry, with my health, let it be to me according to your word, O oh God. That's where we want to be as God's people. That's where we'll find joy. That's where we'll find the thrill and the strength to endure the abundant life we've been promised by grace. Can you pray that prayer this morning? Let it be to me according to your word, O oh Lord. Let's, let's do that together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this example that we've seen. We pray that you would continue to guide us as we study the scriptures. But God, ultimately, Father, we just pray that we as your people at St. Rose Community Church would be a people with this in common, though it looks different in each one of our lives, would this be one of the things we have in common, that we all have this disposition, God, of behold, we are servants of the Lord. Let it be to us according to your word. Not in order to gain the favor of God, but because we have already been granted great favor through the ministry of Jesus. We love you and we praise you. We pray, stir our hearts to worship and affection and obedience today. In Jesus' name, amen.